Welcome to Elite Team Athletics Podcast. I got my guys Tevin and Q in here. I'm your host, Kyle Coglatori, and we have the pleasure of having Big Ten champ, four-time All-American and PGA golfer, Charlie Danielson with us today. How's it going, Charlie? Good. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. good. Awesome. Pretty good. What, how, how's the pandemic treating you? Honestly, not too bad. Uh, I spend uh, the winters down in Arizona, so... Uh, you know, I had awesome weather, ability to get a little short game practice in and, you know, walk outside in the sun. So it, it wasn't quite um, to the level that a lot of people experience. And then uh, I, I made the road trip back up to Osceola, Wisconsin, where I grew up. And, um, you know, now it's just kind of kind of the same thing, just hanging with family, hanging with friends and laying pretty low. What kind of what's practice like for a golfer? Fill me in on that. Like, I'm a terrible golfer. I, I need tips, Charlie. Help me out. So, I mean, I would say my normal practice plan is is usually leading up to a tournament, let's say I have a week. Uh, I'll probably practice on average maybe three to four hours a day as well as play on average maybe nine holes a day. So, you know, you're out on the, on the course six, seven hours a day, um, just grinding, getting your game in shape, working on, you know, your, your weaknesses or what, you know, the, the conditions are going to be like on that specific course or that specific, you know, uh, the week of weather. And so, you know, you have to take all that into account um, and prepare the right way. And then, you know, you're also got to keep your body in shape because uh, your body is your product. So it's a lot of, uh, a lot of stretching, mobility, some, you know, explosive work. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of time that goes into it, and then you have to take into account all the travel and uh, flying from one event to another, different hotel every single week. So, you know, it gets to be a, a grind. And uh, when you get mid-season form, it, it's usually you try to play three weeks in a row take a week off two or three weeks in a row just to give your body some rest and allow you to, to practice, take a week off and, and work on what you need to for the next few events. You know, the thing that strikes me with that, how do you simulate weather then? Uh, you just, you just check it out and, you know, let, let's say that it's going to be, um, you're going to go over to Europe and you're going to play fast and firm event or fast and firm, um, you know, really tight grass. Well then, you got to find a way to, to implement that as best as possible. And you know that you might, you know, instead of, uh, let's say, in the U.S. or where I'm from, it's a little softer where I, I'll hit a hybrid into greens. Well, there you might want to you want to work on a low two-iron stinger uh, to hit off the tee. So, you know, you just have to start – you have to think ahead. You have to start implementing, you know, different changes, make adjustments week to week. And um, you're not always going to be able to to prepare perfectly, or uh, you know, kind of take into account the weather and, and and factor it in exactly like it will be that week. But you just have to do the best you can. And I think that the best players in the world, whether you think about Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, those guys always take that stuff into account, and they prepare better than anyone else. And so, like, and with practice, too, it's not like you just go out and play around a golf, or is it, you know, you're in the middle of, you know, two different foursomes that are out here trying to get there just 
average Joe game in, or are you at a, like a private course where you just go take hundred balls and put them in a sand trap and just hit out of the sand trap for an hour? What like what? Yeah, is that? so so very rarely am I playing with just you know average social golfers. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always at the five, six, seven hours I'm out on the course. You know, I've got headphones in. I, I have a practice plan that. You know, I'm going to go through, complete everything, you know, different goals to accomplish. And then I'm going to go out and, and play. And I'm either playing with other really good golfers, playing a little money game to get that competitive edge, or I'm just going out and being as focused as I can by myself and, you know, just playing as many holes as possible. Yeah. Is there, is there a dollar amount that sticks out as the most you've either taken off somebody or had to cough up when you're playing a money game with some professional golfers? Um, I'm, I'm pretty cheap, but there are a lot of golfers that, that are willing to, you know, they're, they're playing hundred, 200, 300 bucks a hole. Um, so, you know, if you win five up, you're, you're winning some money, but I usually, I usually kind of brush that aside and play my own game. <laughs> so you don't hustle anybody on the course, any average Joe's? Oh, like when I'm home in Osceola, yeah, I'll get, I'll go out and play with my friends who I played high school golf with, and I'll give them kind of as many shots as they want, and I'll play them for as much as they want because I know that I can get in their heads and and uh, hopefully take their money. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, dude, you're a really tall guy. You're six five. You're you're lanky. It says you're six five, one eighty five. How does that help you with your golf game? Yeah, I think there's kind of a fine line with height in golf. You know, you don't see six five is probably the max. You've got, you know, the taller golfers, Ernie Els. You've got um, Dustin Johnson, Thomas Peters, who I played college golf with. Uh, those are some tall golfers. You know, they hit it far. They've got a wider arc, so that's you know they've got the the leverage right there. But there are also some disadvantages. You know, the, the club's moving further. Your arms are moving further. So more can go wrong. And so I've always said uh, the ideal height is now in today's, you know, age is probably 6'1", 6'2". So you still have that um, athleticism. You still have the height. But, you know, you're not, you're not too tall. And I'm kind of always on that borderline of, of too tall. So it definitely can work work for you but i think uh, a lot of times there's some give and takes when it comes to height so you're telling me i'm too short 511 isn't the 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 precise size you should be for golf oh 511 is fine uh, i i think it's 6-1 but you know you got rory mcelroy who's 5-9 who's and hits it as far as anyone so it shouldn't hold you back much uh, I, there must be a lot of things going wrong with my game, man. I I shoot about a 150. It's tough out here for me. Um, so you got to be anxiously awaiting for stuff to come back. Or, well, actually, no, because we were just talking about your knee stuff. But golf is coming back about June and July. But you're kind of pushed back a little bit further because of uh, the, the, the cartilage in your knees because you're getting a replacement. Let's talk about yeah, that. I yeah, so um, it's awesome that the PGA Tour and, you know, all the tours affiliated with the PGA Tour are planning on a, a mid-June resumption in, in the season. So uh, it's great. You know, they have obviously a lot of things that they need to take into account when it comes to 
testing, travel, um, caddies, flag sticks, you know. So, um, you know, you got to give them a lot of credit for putting in all that work behind the scenes to figure out how they how they can get the, the guys back on the course and, and you know, their livelihood that they're playing for week in and week out. So uh, that's definitely exciting. Uh, and, you know, I wish I was a part of that. But uh, like we were talking earlier, uh, I've dealt with, you know, knee trouble ever since I was 12, 13 years old in middle school. And um, uh, once I had surgery then, I was good to go all the way through college for, for uh, 10 total years. And then just kind of the, the pain, the bone on bone under my, my left kneecap came back. And, and then, you know, I tried everything to get back on the course, eventually led to another surgery where I had two artificial implants put in. And honestly, it, I thought it was, it was coming together. That's what, you know, propelled me to play last summer. And, you know, I had some, some great finishes on the PGA Tour, and it actually allowed me to get into the Corn Ferry Tour playoffs, which is um, a three-tournament system where the top 25 players get their PGA Tour card at the end of it. And so I was in great shape. My game was in great form. And that first event, my knee, came, my, my knee pain came back um, two days before that first event. So, you know, I was down and out for those events, didn't have the chance to get my PGA Tour card, had to withdraw. And so that was really tough. And then I had another surgery in January of 2020, and it was just kind of a cleanup, check out what's going on with the hope that just the cleanup would take care of everything. And, you know, I think it definitely made it better. Um, so, you know, I had some high expectations to get back on the course, but still dealing with some problems right now. So now it's kind of, you know, figuring out the, the plan moving forward and how to get back on the course as quick as possible, but also, you know, fixing my knee for the long term. And fixing it, they're talking about getting someone else's cartilage that's been donated. How nuts is that, man? Like, technology is crazy. Yeah, I don't know who, who would have ever thought of that to start doing that. But, you know, they've seen great results, and it's kind of a, a newer procedure. But it sounds like it's a little more successful than uh, the artificial implant. And um, first, uh, when I had the artificial implant, I had two of them. So it was one at the bottom of my femur and one under my kneecap, which is, you know, what your kneecap slides over uh, every time it bends. So that's when I was having that pain anytime my knee was bent and had any weight loaded to it. But now one of those implants seems to be working great. And then the other one is, you know, partially failed. And so the, the good news is that they would only have to do one of them, which is a lot higher success rate than having to do both. Yeah. Well, that sounds promising, man. I hope it works out. That's, that's crazy. And, and mentally, obviously, you've been dealing with this since, you know, you were 12 years old. So you're kind of used to having that mental fortitude of, you know, hey, I've got to battle through this. But does it still got to weigh on you when you're about to, you know, tee off in two days and then the pain comes back? It's like we just put in all this work to get to this point just to have it taken away like where how did that affect you mentally going through those ins and outs of surgeries yeah that that's the that's the toughest part right there is when you know i put in 
after that surgery two years ago with the artificial implant, I put in 10 months of nonstop rehab where, you know, two sessions a day, you know, three hours a day, just working on my body and, you know, leading up practicing. And then I'm back on the course, you know, I had a top 10 finish on the PGA tour, played in the U S open, you know, things were going great. And finally had the chance to get my PGA tour card and, and it's just devastating because, you know, everything I had worked for, everything that had led to the Corn Ferry Tour playoffs had now just been taken away. And so that that's the toughest part. That's when you have to, you know, take a step back, realize that most things happen for a reason. And, uh, you know, that's what I've, you know, tried to do. And just to know that if I you know, put myself out there and work as hard as I can every day, take each day as a challenge to, you know, improve in any way I can. If I can't get, put a club in my hand, if I can't, you know, swing, well, I'm going to putt, I'm going to visualize, you know, winning when I get back out there, I'm going to get as tough as I can. I'm going to read books. So, you know, there's a lot that goes on, even when you don't have a club in your hand, there are still ways to get better. And I've just, you know, tried to stick to that and find as many ways as I could so that the moment that I do have the opportunity to step back on the course, I'm ready to go. And I don't need, you know, a transition time getting back into it mentally. You know, I want to, I want to rewind it back a little bit. Let's, let's take a little blast from the past and, and talk about your family. Your family's all golfers. I mean, your dad taught you how to golf all the way until your sophomore year of high school. Um, and your sisters are all really good golfers. Tevin likes to to coin you guys as the name of the first family of golf of Wisconsin. Let, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, Lindsay, she's three years older. She, uh, played for Osceola high school. She won her freshman year, won her sophomore year, won her junior year, and then went on to win her senior year. So she was the first four time state championship state champion in Wisconsin, which was pretty remarkable. I don't think anyone expected it, even her. So uh, I think after she won that, she was uh, faces in the crowd in Sports Illustrated. Yep. And so her little brother, who, you know, everyone knew I had, you know, some talent, but I come, I come into high school my freshman year, I don't even make state. <laughs> so uh, now I've had a sister who has won four state titles. Everyone, you know, has their eyes on me. And I don't even make it to state. So I was crushed. But I also think that that was a blessing in disguise. And that really motivated me to to work hard and accomplish as much as I could. And I went on to win two of the next three years and take uh, runner-ups the other year. But then my younger sister, Casey, who's a year younger than me, she's probably the most talented out of all of us, she went on to win four state titles. So, you know, and I think she was faces with the crowd too. So I was definitely the underachieving brother throughout high school. And I, I heard it from all of my friends. Oh yeah. I'm one of them. We would give you shit all the time about <laughs> you can't, what you can't not good enough to win for as we're sitting here, not doing a damn thing. Chuck's just <laughs> too. But uh, if you guys all had to play in your prime, healthy, Who's the bet? Who's gonna win if you guys hit the course out of you three? Um, I would say that's tough. I would say when you have your absolute A game, 
it would be um, it would be really close between Casey and I. She is uh, the most talented. She's got you know an incredible swing. She hits the ball far, and she's just born with a ton of talent. And um, so it's pretty cool to watch her play golf because she makes it look so easy. And then I'm I'm pretty consistent because I put a ton of time into golf and you know i i'm really motivated i want to be the best i can be and so that's kind of helped with my consistency throughout the years and that's part of the reason why i was four-time all-american and um able to contribute uh to the university of illinois as much as i did but then when you go to to lindsay who didn't really love golf so she's she's not playing anymore she I think is the stroke average leader out at Wisconsin, but she knew that golf wasn't her future. And so, you know, it, it's tough to to work as hard as you possibly can and get as good as you can when you kind of know that, you know, after four years, that's, that's it. You know, that was just part of her life. And she also had, uh, she wanted to enjoy college. So she was, she was great in her own right. Um, but I would say probably I'll, I'll give the edge to Kate because I know that if if she if she put in um, everything she had, she would be definitely the best golfer in the family. And let's talk about that college stuff. Let's talk about the University of Illinois, four-time All-American. I mean, how many Big Ten championships did you get individually? You got one. How many did you get as a team? Yeah, we won three, and now, so leading up to it, I think we had won quite a few in a row, and now they've won ever since I graduated. Illinois has won 10 of the last 11 Big Ten titles. It's just a powerhouse. (laughs) The Alabama of golf. Wow. (laughs) That's crazy. And you guys actually took second place in the NCAA championship. Was that your senior year? Or no, your freshman year? No, that was my freshman year, and then we took third um and they go match play so we were in the national championship match against alabama my freshman year we made and match plays the top eight so we made match play all four years so we finished second fifth third third and we were always just so close every single year to winning that match and and going on to win a national title but we never did which was obviously um you know a major bummer but Coach Small, uh, he he has built the powerhouse. He has great players year in and year out, so I have no doubt that they'll get it done eventually. Yeah, does it keep you up at night, though, that you didn't get that? Oh, yeah, and there, there's a video I have from my senior year where we were playing in Oregon, uh, a lot of friends and family out watching all the seniors, and we're in the semifinals heading to the finals, and I'm on the last hole. And this is the force extras. I need to, I need to, I'm one down going in the last hole. And I have like a 20 footer for birdie. And I hit it, you know, a perfect putt. And it goes in the hole down and out and comes back at me from 20 feet. And, you know, so I ended up having the hole and, and losing the, and losing the match. And that allowed us to, to kind of get stuck and, and not make it to the, the national finals, which was my senior year and a tough way to, to go out. That's got to add fuel to the fire though, to drive you to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think every shortfall has led to, to something bigger. And so, you know, I'm taking that same mindset uh, with my knee troubles and hoping that, you know, 
it's going to help fuel me and, you know, prepare me in the future going forward. And, and I noticed too, that you're, you studied business management. I mean, I got a feeling you thought you're going to be a professional golfer from the get go. So when you're going through school, are you kind of like, eh, I don't really, not that you don't care, but it's like, I'm not here to do this. I'm going to be a pro golfer. This doesn't really matter to me like that. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say my freshman and sophomore year, it was, you know, school was probably at the forefront and golf was, you know, get as good as I can be and see where it leads. But the moment junior year came around and I started getting better and better, started seeing success, get more consistent, you know, you know, started to get highly ranked in the country that's when those those thoughts start to creep in that's when you start to realize that you know there's a future here so i would say like you know beginning to middle of junior year is kind of where i had that mindset where you know golf started to, to creep past school <laughs> and uh you started you know skating by because you, you started getting so excited for for golf has that degree helped you with your professional career um, I would say maybe not specifically to to golf. You know, technically I have my my own business uh, through golf that helps with you know revenue and expenses. Um, so you know I keep track of little stuff like that. But I would say just from the standpoint of when you go to school, you're studying stuff that you don't necessarily love to study. You know. And if you kind of take that mindset with anything in life and you're willing to do what it takes, uh, you know, to build for the future, um, you know, definitely golf too. I'm in the weight room almost every day and, you know, I don't love to lift weights. I don't love to, to stretch all the time, but I know that it's going to help me. And that's kind of the way, the way school was. I knew that I needed to get my schoolwork done um, just to graduate and, you know, get, you know, be as good as I could be in the classroom without, you know, giving up golf in one way or another. So I love it. I love it. And you, you end up going from there to representing the USA in the Palmer cup in 2016. Tell me about that experience. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. That's uh, Europe versus us. And that year it was actually over in Europe. So my teammates and I, we flew over and, uh, competed against Europe. We ended up losing. Uh, I think that when you go over to Europe and you play their style of golf, it's, you know, it's, it's a wake up call because it's a lot different. Just like when you watch the British open versus the masters and, and uh, it's a different style of golf and they're way better at it than we are, but I absolutely love it. And anytime you get to represent your country, that's, that's really special. So uh, definitely a great experience um, and uh, very, very happy and grateful that I was able to do that. What's your favorite story from being over there? Anything? Did you guys get rowdy? Um, well, I think that was the first year where I, I, I'm, I might be wrong, but that was where Arnold Palmer had just passed away. Oh, no. So, and that's what it's named after is Arnold Palmer because, you know, he was, such a great figure in the game of golf. And so that was kind of cool. You know, there was a lot of tributes to him. Uh, we tried to represent him in the best ways possible, you know, so that was probably the coolest part uh, about it all. And, and he was, he was a, a drinker in, in his own right. So we definitely, 
you know, before and after the event, uh, we enjoyed ourselves and we celebrated, you know, even if we lost because, you know, we had the opportunity to, to play under his name and, and represent the United States. So it, it was a blast and uh, very fortunate to play. R.I.P. Arnie. He, he was the man. I still order Arnie Palmer's all the time. Shut him out. Um, you know, you were a highly ranked amateur, too. Uh, whenever I think of, you know, amateur golf, I always think of that Francis Ahmet. I don't even know if I'm saying his last name right. But is it crazy to think, like, wow, I, w- I was one of these top-ranked guys like he was? Yeah, it, it, it is a lot different um, nowadays versus back then because, you know, the separation between a really good amateur and a really good pro, it wasn't, you know, substantial back then. But right now, if you're the number one amateur in the world, well, the moment you turn pro, it's going to be a tough transition because you have all these guys who are dedicating their their life and, you know, all the time to golf and trying to perfect it and being as good as they can be. So, you know, the moment you turn pro, you might move from the number one amateur in the world to being, you know, a thousandth in the world as a pro. So it's, it's a transition. Some people make it look easy. Um, you know, that's really rare when you have a, a John Rahm or, you know, that type of, of player, they, they can get on the PGA tour, you know, win right away. Um, but, you know, I can guarantee you he's still learning as he goes. And that's the great thing about golf is, is so much it comes from experience and, and getting used to the pressure and the big stage and all the, you know, crazy things that come with success, whether it's, you know, world ranking, making the Ryder Cup, uh, money. You know, there are so many little intricacies that come with success, and you have to block that out of your of your mind anytime you step out on the course. Was it a hard decision for you to switch from being an amateur to a pro? I would say, um, you know, you're going from team golf where everyone's taking care of everything for you. You're traveling with a team. You're playing for a team. You know, if you have a bad round, uh, you've got people to pick you up. And the moment you turn pro, you're out on an island. You're you're planning your own travel. You're staying by yourself. So it's a lonely world. And, uh, you know, you're you're spending your own money and you're trying to make your own money and you've got to prove yourself week in and week out. So it's, it's definitely a transition. It was for me, I'd say I'm still learning as I go. Um, but the first, the first full year, uh, I was fortunate to get some PGA tour starts to earn some sponsorships. Um, but it was definitely a, a tough transition. And I think that I've come a long way since 2016. So 2016, though, you said you had your couple starts. Then you go to 2017, you're on the PGA Tour. Then 2018, you have the knee injury. It cost you the whole season. Then 2019, everything's starting to feel good again. And that's the – is that the one where you, you played in the U.S. Open, but then you also played with uh, Phil at the 3M Open? And Phil, I, played I mean with, – I played with Phil at the U.S. Open. At the U.S. Open? Yeah. Oh, my God. It doesn't get much as far as golf stages go. That was final day. That's that's the one golf tournament that I've actually like purposely turned on TV to watch. Like, what was it like hearing they go, you know, Phil Mickelson from such and such teeing off, and then to go from Osceola, Wisconsin, welcome to the tee box, Charlie Danielson. What what, what was yeah. that like? Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, there's a lot that 
I'll give a little backstory. So that was on Saturday. I played with Phil, and Friday um, I had, I was playing in the U.S. Open, just back from a knee, knee injury and recovery, and I um, I made the cut. You know, I was ecstatic. I was maybe in mid twenty twenty fifth or so heading into the weekend, and I finished in the morning, and so. I had about 30 or 40 family and friends out there. It was it was an absolute blast, but we had a pizza party that night just to celebrate making it. And um, and we're looking at the at the scoreboard, and it gets to the point where they're finishing up in the afternoon wave, and um, I was the first to finish. So that means the last to finish at um, the score right above me we would play together and it was either going to be tiger woods or phil nicholson and so we're sitting at the pizza party like looking at the scoreboard and it's like i'm either gonna play with phil or tiger which is i mean completely surreal it's two people that you grow up watching yeah and and idolizing and so you know ever since you know when i saw that was going to happen it ended up being phil you know I've got to sleep that night. I've got to wake up, keep myself occupied in the morning, or all I'm going to do is think and work myself up about, you know, what that day could bring because, like, you know, it's a huge deal. And the more you try to block it out, uh, the better. But it's so hard. It just keeps trying to to fill your mind. It's tough to eat. It's tough to sleep just because, you know, you can think of it, well, you know, I could be embarrassed. I'm going to be on national TV all day. There's going to be tens of thousands of people watching me, you know, hopefully, you know, Phil likes me or, you know, you try and talk yourself into what, this is such a cool opportunity. I'm going to go play, you know, one shot at a time and, um, you know, see what the day brings. And so, you know, there's, you know, you, you kind of waffle between those two, but you try to stay on the positive side. And then, um, you know, anxieties filling your mind nonstop. And when you finally hear your name called, you're just, you're so nervous. You can barely, you know, feel your hands to, to grip the club. But the moment that you hit that shot, you know that you're off the tee box, all that anxiety is gone. Obviously there are still nerves, but at least you're out hitting shots and in focusing, you know, on your game. And that, and that's when things get fun. And so it's, uh, that's part of the whole learning experience and putting yourselves in those types of situations where, you know, the next time I know that I can do better. And, uh, so it was cool. Um, Phil, Phil was fun to play with. It was a two sum. So the round went by quick and, and obviously, you know, it's, it's a good talking point because everyone loves to ask me about it. Every, a lot of people from back home were watching and, and saw the old Wisconsin out loud on TV. So, you know, I was just, pretty happy to to allow them to experience that with me what are, what are the conversations like if any on the course while you're golfing with phil is there any like trash talk going back and forth or is it we're all both in our kind of our own separate worlds just playing the best we can yeah i would say for the most part separate worlds he was he was super nice i mean neither one of us uh played that great so that you know you know if we we're feeding off each other making birdies feeding off the crowd there might have been a little more dialogue but uh, I had an experienced caddy from out there who knew Phil, and I know Phil's caddy, who's his brother, who uh, used to be a college coach. So I spent a lot of time around his brother Tim. So 
so you know there was talking between caddies and and players and and so it was a fun day you know and and to just talk about it after um was was you know pretty cool when you're when you're standing there i mean i I hear all the pressure you're saying oh you're thinking about everybody watching on live tv you're next to phil you embarrass yourself maybe blah 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 blah. for me when i think about phil i think about He's made more money than Tiger, and or is he second, or he's, he's either first or second in, in purse money. I think he's made over seven hundred million dollars. They say supposedly his net worth's between four hundred and seven hundred. That's what freaks me out. I'm like, damn, this dude can crush me in his wallet right now. Does that cross your mind when you're up in the tee box? Or are you not even thinking of that? No, because it doesn't even when you get to that point of of wealth and success on the golf course, and you make that type of money that doesn't even cross, cross his mind. Um, it's definitely the resume that he's built, um, and not the earnings. Uh, cause you know, that, that comes with success on the golf course. Every, everyone knows that on the PGA tour, when you play, you play well, well, you know, you're going to make a good living. And so, you know, he's past the point of, of that. He's only interested in winning golf tournaments and, the only major he hasn't won is the U.S. Open. And so to play with him on a weekend at a U.S. Open where he's still, you know, teeing off, he was only maybe, we were probably seven shots back. So he's still within striking distance if he had a great weekend. And so that were that's where it was pretty cool because, you know, all the fans know that he still has a chance at completing the Grand Slam and, you know, when you get Phil around a crowd, they're giving thumbs up. And, and now that he's on social media, so they're talking about that. And he's engaging with the crowd. So it was pretty cool to see that side of it. That's awesome, man. And then another big supporter of yours is Steve Stricker, right? Can you talk to me about how he's helped you out? I know he, he's done a lot of things, right? You have a connection back at Illinois, correct? Yeah, so he's he's a Wisconsin guy um, down in Madison, and he went to play at the University of Illinois, and he was teammates for three years with my coach, uh, Coach Mike Small. And so they have a great relationship, and the moment we, uh, us players from the University of Illinois, step out on the PGA Tour, you know, he's, he's there to, to support each and every one of us. He wants to play practice rounds. He wants to to talk to us, um, you know, about anything that we might come to him for. So he's a, a great resource and, um, you know, he's getting up there in age, but he can still play with the best of them. Man, that's crazy. That's crazy. You guys got anything else before we wrap this up and let Charlie get back to it? Uh, a, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Q. I got a random question from someone. Um, why is it that basketball players can shoot a free throw with fans going crazy with signs and everything in the background, but a guy can't tee off without a whisper? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a great question. I will say that if you have consistent noise, like a free throw, you know, everyone's cheering, that would be one thing. But the noise usually comes from everyone being quiet and one person talking, so it's distracted. And and another thing is, is when you're shooting a free throw, you know, you've practiced it a thousand times, you know, you get, it's kind of just hand-eye coordination, but when it comes to a golf swing, you know, you've got to match up your club head moving 120 miles an hour 
perfectly to hit the shot that you've envisioned. And the moment that your club turns um, milli- uh, just a millimeter and, you know, that shot's not going to go where you want. And I think the moment where you get distracted, something comes in your mind, um, it throws that off. And so, so that's a great question. I wish it was different, but um, yeah, the quieter, the less distraction, the, the easier it is to hit the shot you want. Good question, Q. And so I got uh, some uh, a couple questions from the from the audience. Uh, we got one Q, who you might know, Max Trainer went to Whitewater. Um, we'll give him a shout out. Uh, Q wants to know why didn't you go to Minnesota? First and foremost, and then if you were to equate golf to an animal, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Max question. I was hoping his name would stay off this uh, this call, but um, I didn't go to the University of Minnesota. Uh, both my parents did, just because um, you know I had the opportunity to go to a top five school where there was a lot of success, had an incredible track record, and I knew I was going to get the best as I could. And I think Minnesota was um, maybe ranked around 100th, and they were going through a coaching change, and they didn't have the facilities and resources that University of Illinois did. And so that was kind of the biggest factor, biggest factors leading to the decision. And if I was to equate golf to an animal um man i i maybe go with i maybe go with just a lion because it it the <laughs> mentality the resilience that you have to have and uh, a lot of people don't know really how hard it is and how confident you have to be and you know when when lions are out in the wild they know that they're the real deal <laughs> great response <laughs> Any other brain busters, Tevin? Uh, no, no. It's it good to have you on the show, Chuck. Um, oh, actually, I do have another question. When so when you're out on the course, whether it's with friends or people that aren't professional golfers, do you like how hard or is it annoying when people ask you know for advice on game or is it where it's like you know I just want to play for fun, like I'm trying to enjoy myself. I don't want to have to be in this kind of coaching mindset. Yeah. So it, it depends. Like if I'm out with, if I'm out with friends and I'm just, you know, home for the week, I, I would love to, to help them out and, um, you know, give them something or if they want to send me a video, I'm always willing to help out. The, the tough thing is that, you know, for golfers, when we go to events and part of the way they raise money is through pro-ams. So these pro, your, your pros are paying with people who bid to play in pro-ams. And, you know, so you're playing with, three or four guys in a slow round and you're trying to learn the course and get ready for a tournament and you have to, to socialize and, you know, they're asking for help. And so that's, that's where it gets tough where, you know, you kind of dread those things, but you've got to, you've got to make the most of it of just enjoying yourself. And, uh, you know, cause otherwise when you're out there for six hours doing something you don't want to do, you know, it, it gets, it gets to be a long day. So you know, it, it, those are never fun, but we just got to try and make it as fun as possible. Yeah. But, hey, Tevin, I'll help you out anytime. That's, that, that's really what I want to know. I need to okay. get my golf game fixed ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> me so too. That, me yeah, too. You, you invite me out there anytime, especially when I'm, when I'm back playing, and um, I'll help you out. 
All right. I'll take you up on that for sure. Thank you, Charlie. Absolutely. Thank you, guys.